Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cheryl Smith writing and rewriting history. First ever national title for Texas Tech. Jonathan Garibay. The boot is away. And it's Welcome on, welcome on to the Tortillas and Takes podcast. You are on once again with your boy, I'll be sure. And welcome to the end of the season. We are here at the end of the season, a season in which Texas Tech had a winning record in conference, yet we all feel very meh about it. Speaking of meh, that was our season record, our overall season record, six and six, average ass season. We were meh, mediocre, and mid. And to talk about this middling season, we got the people's champ that is Jeremy Gillen on once again. It's me, your professor of midology, going to break down what it means and what it takes to be mid in today's society. How do you define a mid-team, a mid-man? What is the mid-man? Our Vogue exclusive. M- m- I can't even. <laughs> hey, man. Still talking football. Still have my day job. <laughs> Mid-back music. This team, yeah, this team was very mediocre, very mid. I mean, that's how it was. And listen, and not to mention the end of the season really just hammered it home just how bad sometimes this team is. And just in some games, we were also pretty good, right? And so I wouldn't necessarily call this a roller coaster of a season, but it was a season that had a roller coaster of emotions. That's for dang sure. So. Jeremy, give me your general sense of how you're feeling as a Tech fan here in, well, December compared to where you were hoping to be feeling in August. You know, um, without without sounding kind of like, what was me? It truly is. It truly is a letdown this season. And we talked about it early on. We talked about it during the Oregon recap. Um, how depressing that game was and why it was so awful to lose to Oregon. And I think it comes down to <clears throat> this, this reality that Texas tech fans have been in for a long time that it felt like we were finally cr- crawling out of and like getting this national respect, getting people looking at us and saying like, Hey, Texas tech may be a team to watch out for. You know, we got the dark horse narrative, all that stuff at the beginning of the season and we bought into it. And that Oregon loss was so hard because it's a game that we feel like we really should have won, but it was taken away from us. And so basically people looked at Tech and go, ah, now we knew that would happen. Typical Tech. And Texas Tech didn't really do anything the rest of the season to shake that narrative. It was one thing after another, um, you know, getting set up on a stage where we could make a difference, uh, beat a good team and kind of get the momentum rolling, and we just didn't. And it was really hard to watch throughout the season. The apathy kind of continued to grow for me. Um, not, you know, not have not like, Oh, I'm not going to watch this game. I watched the game. I watched every game. Uh, it was just every game. It got, you know, the wins were great, but the losses were even worse. 
And so ending the season the way that we did, I mean, we thought that that Texas game would end up being like a clash of the Giants, clash of the expected to win versus clash of the dark horse to win, which is like a really cool narrative built up in our minds. And it wasn't that at all. We lost from the first, you know, the first offensive snap we lost. So it's just been a really disappointing season. I know that a lot of other fans and players and coaches feel that same way. And, you know, that's just the, that's the nature of football. Uh, and I think that at the end of the season, they're just going to have to go back and look at what they did wrong and look forward to. And I, I saw a really good quote today, I think um, it's been a long day <clears throat> that said, you know, one of the one of the uh, um, worst things we were ever taught was if you uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Because what it should be is that if you first at first you don't succeed, figure out why not <laughs> and kind of not going into it blindly. So I'm hoping that, you know, at the end of this long season that McGuire is going to take stock of what he's got in house and, you know, figure out what the best options are going forward. Because you can't we can't just do the same thing expecting it'll change. That's true. No, we can do the same thing expecting it'll change. That's a very good point. I will. One thing that I find funny um is is this so at the end of the day we went five and four in conference they have back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since 2008 2009 uh having back-to-back winning seasons in conference back in 2021 two years ago matt wells last year uh our non-con record was against uh, american athletic houston unranked houston stephen f austin and florida international if that was our you know, and replace Houston with a, I don't know, a team like, well, a team like Wyoming. But um, if that was our three teams this year, we have three wins and our non-con all of a sudden, instead of being six and six, we're eight and four. Yeah. Right. For the last, you know, it's funny because the, during the 2010s, there was a big joke of we didn't play anybody. Our non-con, not even for the 2010s, actually, for the majority of Texas Tech's football history, we almost never played anybody in non-con. Um you know, last year we finally played not only somebody. Houston was ranked, and they were a high-rated G five, and then NC State ranked NC State team. This year we're, we brought Oregon to town, and but and also played another high-rated G five in Wyoming. Lost them both, and now we're sitting at six and six, down on ourselves, down on this team. And I, I do I do find it funny that well, what happens if? We're now eight and four as opposed to six and six. Do we still feel the same type of denigration? Do we still feel like this was a big letdown? Um, I do think that this season is going to be known for a lot of what ifs. Oregon's a great example. What if we make that two point conversion? We made the two point conversion against Oregon, completely different ball game. What game we likely win? Um, and what if, shoot, what if we run the ball a little bit more against Wyoming? What if we don't go to overtime against Wyoming? That's two wins right there. One, well, one big what if is if we beat Oregon. Oregon's not right now trying to fight for a chance at the college football playoffs. So that's crazy. But, uh, you know, what if we do end up getting a chance to beat Oregon, beat Wyoming, completely different season, right? Um, you know, what if Baron Morton finished out the K-State game? What if he plays BYU whatsoever, plays in the BYU game at all and we never have to see Jake Strong, you know? Um, what if we just never – what if the Big 12 didn't schedule Texas? <laughs> <laughs> at all <laughs> just never schedule texas don't do it um but I, I do think the seasons in general just a lot of what ifs a lot of games where we were right there um 
you know, honestly, actually the only game that doesn't have a what if is Texas. Uh, every other game I think on the schedule, I look at and say, man, Tech could have won that game. If Tech just did these things right, it could have won that game. And we talked about it early in another episode, or in another episode, how last year all the coin flip games came up Tech. This year, all the coin flip games did not. Uh, outside of now, luckily for us, the Kansas and the UCF game went our way. Every other game, every other game that was close did not. When it came to when it comes to one possession games, uh, Texas Tech lose Wyoming, lose Oregon lose West Virginia, uh, and though K-State and BYU were not one-possession games, those are two more games where, again, you're talking, you're, you're saying that what-if piece. Um, you know, so there's there's that there. I do think that the team started winning and started finding the winning ways later in the season before Texas, right? Going into that game, a lot of announcers talked about how the fact that Texas was on a three-game win streak, a lot of close games, a lot of games we were in a dogfight against teams that were – against decent Kansas was a decent was a good team and UCF was an emerging team a team that was getting better UCF got better every single week of the season so you know that's so I it, it's, it's kind of weird a weird spot with this where I'm looking at it sometimes I'm like man this team is trash sometimes I'm like man this team has what it takes but I'm still kind of worried there and then Texas happens and I, I kind of just part of me just feels like Texas is really a throw throw tape in the trash type of game I, that I don't. I don't even recognize that team that played Texas. That that was that was something. That was dog water. I like your. You know, I think that's a really interesting thing to look at this season when you think about non-conference and Texas Tech for the for the eternity it's existed has always scheduled cupcakes and we've always been hard on whoever does the scheduling. That's like, why don't you just schedule better people? Like, why don't you schedule good quality teams? We can get more revenue to Tech. We can get more eyes on Tech. Uh, it validates our season a little bit more if we're doing well. And they went out and did it. They got us two really good teams. And I'm not upset with the loss at Wyoming. I kind of predicted the loss at Wyoming. I said that I don't think that we really respected the the nature of Laramie, Wyoming. And it, it, it happened. In the fourth quarter, we fell apart. They, they had the advantage. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. It's crazy to think that if we scheduled two other cupcakes, we would be at the eight win mark. And it reminds me, it makes me think of Texas A&M, who for the longest time has scheduled cupcakes, but they are always kind of in this conversation of contention in the SEC, not in like a, oh, they're going to win the SEC, but always like a, whoa, what can Texas A&M do? And maybe it is because they throw millions upon millions of dollars at a coach that it was garbage. Or maybe it's because they have these records that like illustrate a, a better like program than maybe they are because they do get kind of three wins off the bat. So all they have to do is, you know, five more wins in conference and they're at an eight win mark. And that looks good on a resume. Whereas like, okay, Texas at we're, we're at six. Um, and if we get the bowl, if we get a bowl game, we win it. If we win the bowl game, it's seven. So like seven and five is not bad, but seven and five makes me feel kind of icky. It just makes me feel like Cliff Kingsbury. Right. So I do think that's a really interesting point that the non-conference has a lot of sway on how we look at the season as a whole, but um, your one weird, your one weird overtime in Wyoming, you're, you're 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 probably like five good run plays away from a win in Wyoming, and then your one stupid two point conversion decision in Oregon from keeping the momentum and winning that game, very easily could have been eight wins. Um, my problem is not the non conference. My problem falls into the regular season. You know, 
West Virginia was a really awkward game. I think Kansas State was really ill-prepared for BYU. Obviously, you couldn't go into Provo with your third string who, you know, the gap between second and third is chasm. Um, it, you know, there was just a lot. You, It's just crazy to me. I'm, you know, now we're talking about it. It's crazy that we had a winning conference record and overall was just looked pretty mid. It's like you, you, you actually had a pretty good season, but you don't feel good about it at all. <laughs> Definitely do not feel good about it. I, you know, it's talking about the non-con, and it's a big question of whether how much weight do you put to it, right? How much weight do you truly put to a non-con record? I mean, I, I look at the 2021 Ags because I decided to look up the Aggies since you brought them up, and that's a good example. 2021 Ags, they had four non-conference uh, teams. One was Kent State. They beat Kent State 41-10. to 10. They also beat New Mexico, who they seem to play every year uh, a lot to a little. Um, but 34-0. They played Prairie View 52-3, and they also played Colorado. Now, Colorado was a Power 5 team, uh, but the problem is that the year they played Colorado, Colorado won two games in 2021? Um, so, four. No, they went 4-8. Sorry. My bad. 4-8. They went 4-8, and, uh, and they beat that team 10-7. to seven. The end of the year, though, A&M went 8-4, and four. and A&M said, oh, oh, well, look at us. We're A&M. We're the Ags. We went 8-4. And so to that effect, now let's take it, let's compare that to this team, this team named Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State this year, their first four games did not look good, right? The first four games for Oklahoma State, they were two and two. Excuse me. They were two and two. Uh, They had struggled against Central Arkansas, not a very good Central Arkansas team. Um, a FCS Central Arkansas team, I should say, struggled against Ar- Central Arkansas, lost to South Alabama, thirty, and not just lost, lost at home by a lot, thirty-three to seven. And then they went to Iowa State and lost to Iowa State, which at the time we also thought was bad. They're two and two in the first four games, and we're like, "Yep, cross out Oklahoma State. They have no shot at it." And from that moment on, they went on from the from that Iowa State loss on. Oklahoma State went on to win eight of their next – or, sorry, they went on to win seven of their next eight games. They're 9-3. and three, They're in the Big 12 championship game. They beat Oklahoma, right? And so you, I, I look at that and say, well, so Oklahoma State, you know, they're a team that, similar to UCF, got better every single week. Speaking of that, they did get waxed by UCF. That is their one loss in the last eight weeks. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 45 waxed. to 3, Lord Jesus. But uh, they're a team that got better every week. That, that didn't let non-con really affect them. Iowa State does it every year. Under Matt Campbell, every year they lose a game in non-con, and you're like, oh, Iowa State sucks. And then before you know it, Iowa State has won five games in the conference. So, you know, I know I, we're used to winning in non-con because we play these cupcakes. Iowa State plays Iowa every year. They, didn't, they can't do that. Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State didn't necessarily schedule these tough, big, bad teams. The toughest team they scheduled was Arizona State, but they still, but they, yet they looked worse against Central Arkansas and worse against South Alabama. But they started catching it. They started figuring it out. Mike Gundy, Gundied. I don't know how he does it every year, but he Gundied. So I do think that there is, you know, for teams like Tech and like Oklahoma State and like AM, hate to break it to the Aggies, that don't really have national championship aspirations, or shouldn't, I should say. Um, our, all we care about and all we want is to win the Big 12, win the conference. Oklahoma State has a chance to do that this Saturday, they can win the conference. They may not win the national championship. It'd be great if they could, but they probably aren't going to do it. But they're going to get a chance to win 
the conference. And, and when it comes to the new format we were talking about, the new college football playoff format, where it's going to be 12 teams, winning the conference is going to be everything. Who, I don't, who cares what you did in non-con, win the conference. And so, you know, I think as we change our thinking as tech fans of non-con, you know, yeah, of course we'd like to win it. We'd love to win as many games as possible. But really looking at, I think the main thing is the fact that we did go five and four in conference and we had back-to-back winning seasons, right? Now, I was ready to call this season a success until the Texas game. <laughs> the Texas game was such a bad game that I don't think you can call any season a success when you get – with. and we already talked at length about that game. Uh, two of the players we talked about in that game have already announced that their, their intention to transfer. But, uh, you know, um, but it's just, it's just been a really, a really, uh, yeah, just up and down season, uh, a crazy thing. So what is, and I'm not going to necessarily say, you know, give me just one instance, one player, uh, play thing, one what if for the season that makes you think that you're still thinking about. Oh, one, one. only one. Dang. Dang. I, you know, honestly, I just go back to the Wyoming game. What if we ran Taj on one of the third or fourth and one, two, one of the short yard scenarios? What if we just ran the best running back <laughs> that, that has come through text doors in a long time? What if, what if we got the, got a first down there late game? Continue the, come on. Well, do you think if we beat Wyoming, it changes the trajectory of the entire season? I think it changes the way you – well, you know, it's interesting because you back it up with an Oregon game. It was like, oh, let's let, – we were talking about let's hope we're not looking past Wyoming. That's what they're hoping for. They hope we're looking past them to Oregon. And I was like, well, I think that Joey's got his guys locked in. And I think the guys were locked in against Wyoming. I think that the, the play calling could have been a little bit different. So for me, if you get that win in Wyoming – if you avoid overtime and you get the dub on the road, which, you know, we struggle with, we we have struggled with, we get a win on the road to start the season in a tough environment. Then you get to come home <clears throat> with a little bit of moment, momentum, maybe, and this is assuming that like the play calling would be different to identify what you need to win. Maybe that makes us feel more confident about changing some play calls against Oregon. But that's that's the stretch I can make it. I don't think there's like one. I can't think of one play this season that would change the trajectory of a game outside of like maybe time management kind of stuff against Wyoming. My what if is what if we had no quarterback injuries? Period. Like just is this for this shock- season? You're talking about the last ten years. Well, actually, I was going to make a joke. I was going to make a joke that what if Sonny Cumbie never accepted a Louisiana Tech job? <laughs> yeah. But that didn't happen this it? season. That wasn't this season. That was a couple of seasons ago. Um, but uh, what if – no, just, I'm just saying. Because like, here's the thing, and, I, and I, I'm not necessarily saying that and, – and everybody knows that I've, I've, been, a, I've been considered a, a shock truther, if you will. But uh, there's a slight chance Shuck would have gotten benched. Uh, he wasn't playing great, right? He didn't 
didn't play great against uh, Oregon. Didn't play even didn't play great against Tarleton State. Right? He wasn't playing great. Excuse me. The fans were getting frustrated with him. Uh, didn't play before he got hurt early in the West Virginia game. Also was kind of doing his thing. So I'm not saying he wouldn't have gotten back. There's a chance he would have gotten back. Um, but two things to remember is Morton also got hurt. He had that shoulder injury that he was dealing with even before he got it, and he continued to, he continued to be hurt afterwards. But also, if Shuck never goes down, and Morton ends up having to go down in K-State games, I should say no quarterback injuries. I said only one thing. So let's say Shuck never gets hurt. If K-State, in a K-State game, if Morton goes down with that shoulder injury, oh, it's fine. We have Tyler Shuck. Going to BYU, oh, it's fine. We have Tyler Shuck. That's two games. That you say, man, who knows? Yeah. Right? Yeah, wow. No, yeah. Nothing on Jake Strong, but he was a turnover machine, uh, mostly because we decided not to run the ball with the country's best running back. But, uh, you know, it just it does, it does those are some things that does make me think for sure. So, Jeremy, time to, time to, time to give players some flowers. All right, time to give players some flowers. Um, but I don't know if we can give players flowers unless they're rocking some stuff from Charlie Hustle, right? CharlieHustle.com. Uh, it is the official retailer of the official vintage retailer of the Big 12, the official vintage retailer of 1012 Podcast Network, and the official vintage retailer of your boys here at Tortillas and Takes. All right. So make sure to dress like your favorite athlete. Go to CharlieHustle.com and use our promo code 101215. That is T E N 1215. You get 15% off your. Of all non-sale items, Charlie Hustle Vintage Made Fresh. So, Jeremy, offensively, we're just talking about the offense. Who do you want to give out flowers to? Got to give it out. First and foremost, I got to give a bouquet. A bouquet to Taj Brooks. You know it. You love it. One of the best running backs in the nation. Um, Tremendous. fifteen, Like 1,447 yards on the season. If he got more uh touches in games that he should have he would easily be above the 1600 mark i have no doubt um guided a guy excelled so much i had no idea just how good he would be because we saw so much more of sir roger thompson last year um especially the way kitley was liking to play ball sir roger just fit the scheme better it seemed and so the up and down play style of taj brooks just didn't really fit in so i didn't know what that would look like this season but man, guy averaged five over five yards a carry all like all season long. It's nuts. It is crazy good. Nine touchdowns on the season. Uh, big row, big bouquet to Taj Brooks. How many you want me to pick? Taj Brooks, you get the bouquet. I'll give a. I'm just skipping wide receivers. <laughs> um, uh no I I'll give I'll give a I'll give a rose to Coy Eakin who who stepped up yeah he stepped up during the season I think he did really good Dre McCray was you know Dre McCray did give a, give a lot of effort all season I feel like so I give a I give a rose to Dre McCray I I feel bad for my my tight ends I feel bad for my boys Mason Tharp and Baylor Cup they never they never got enough opportunities to make a difference. When they did, they looked good doing it. Give my tight—I had to give my tight ends some roses. That's just how it goes. Um, but that—that's—that's kind of where it starts and ends for me. 
Taj Brooks, Cole Eakin, the duo of Tharp and Cup, maybe Baron Morton. Maybe. Two Tharps, one Cup, huh? Um, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> is that reference too old now? Do people know what that is anymore? I was just talking to my wife about where I that I know exactly where I was on the day and how old I was when I first saw that video. <laughs> Scarred me. Like for it's such a traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> such a traumatizing thing. Anyways, um, so yeah, I mean, we were going to go through the whole thing as far as who the offensive player of the year is. There's no reason to even go through it. We know who it no, is. No, we know who it is. Anybody else, I would have struck you. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to give a flower, a, a rose. To Dennis Wilburn, and I'm explain why. Dennis Wilburn played pretty well at the right guard position and was asked to move to center because uh, we were struggling at that center position. Took him about a game to kind of get that right, but played pretty admirably in the spot. Now, against Texas, he went up against Devon J. Sweat. I mean, what you going to do? But outside of that, I think Dennis Wilburn actually did did what he could, played admirably, was willing to to make the, work, work, uh, the move over. And I thought he played – like I said, I thought he played Adam Rubin. I thought he played decently. So, Dennis Wilburn, I think, also deserves one. Um, absolutely Todd Brooks. Absolutely Coy Eakin. Uh, Baron Morton, listen, I'm, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a rose as well, Baron Morton. I thought you played – I thought Bear, Bear, uh, the Bear Raid, he played well. Uh, got to get healthy. Man, that kid has got to get healthy. I want to see what he can do next year. Uh, but we got to get him healthy. Uh, uh, Lord Jesus, you got to get him healthy. But uh, – but yeah, no, I, those are. I, I think that's really it offensively. Not really too much to give out there on that side, uh, for sure. So that being said, now a little bit more nuance, right? Uh, oh, one thing, one other thing I wanted to say before we get off offense: Todd Brooks actually did move to seventh all time in career yards at Texas Tech, just a, a hair under three thousand. If he does play in the bowl game, he will definitely eclipse three thousand yards. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what his. Th- what he'll do, whether he's going to enter the NFL draft, he probably should. Whether he's going to enter the NFL draft, uh, if he does, whether he's going to skip the bowl game or play in the bowl game, it'll be interesting. But right now, he sits at a little less than three thousand career yards. You know, so I would like to see him hit that. I would love to see him in the bowl games, just so he can eclipse that three thousand yard mark and solidify his spot as the number seven career all time rusher in Texas Tech history. Uh, before we get off of Todd Brooks, Jeremy, do you think Todd Brooks is a top five running back of all time? Before you answer that, I want to list out some of the other, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, just so you know, some of the other guys here. So the leading all time rusher in tech history, Byron Hansberg or Byron Hansberg. Uh, we have James Gray, Ricky Williams, Bam Morris, uh, DeAndre Washington, Torian Henderson, um, James Hadnot, so Roger Thompson there at nine. Larry Isaac at 10, Baron Batch at 11, Donnie Anderson, Shannon Woods, uh, Doug McCutcheon, and Billy Taylor. And Anthony Lynn. So that that rounds out the top 16. Um, Eric Stevens. I'm surprised that E. Steve was on here. Anyways, that (laughs) rounds out the top 16, top 17. Um, Is Todd Brooks, who's sitting at 7, is he top 5 all time? You know, um... Short answer, yes. And let me let me kind of explain it. I think with some of those guys on the list, especially um, Byron Hansford, like he played back in the 90s before the air raid existed. And so football just looked wholly different uh, in that time, in that time and place. And so uh, I think for me, 
if I'm really wanting to look at it, I would look at how many carries they get on a season and what they do with it. You know, I think just, just, and this is going to be recency bias because we had a whole season of it and it felt like literally Taj Brooks was the only shining spot on our offense, but he became nationally recognized as the hardest guy to tackle in college football. He consistently uh, pulled this team up by the bootstraps and gave us a chance to win um, offensively. I think that Taj Brooks did so much for this team, and we didn't capitalize on it by any means. Like we, like those two games, first two games, we should have ran him more. You know, there was just different opportunities throughout the season to utilize him better. Um, I do think it would probably be like I'm just like he would be fifth for me. Um, but as far as impact goes, as far as like the standard that he set for himself and this offense for the season, like he became the, like, if we want to, like, we have to give it to Taj, like, please just give it to Taj became like this run the damn ball moment. I think in that, in that respect and the output that he had this season, um, yeah, absolutely top five for me. I think without Taj Brooks, this season looks wholly different. And in fact, you may you may not even be bowl eligible without Taj Brooks. Interesting. So, you know, my this is just my opinion. It's all right. So my opinion is that there is a top four that's pretty distinct. Right. Like to me, the uh, top four best rushers of all time is Byron Hansford, uh, Torian Henderson, uh, my boy D. Watt, DeAndre Washington. Oh, I completely lost my train of thought. Sorry. So to me, there's a distinct top four, right? Top four of all time. I think Byron Hansford, Torian Henderson, Ricky Williams, DeAndre Washington. Those are the top four. The four best running backs to ever play a, uh, a snap at Texas Tech, right? That's That's just my opinion. I don't think anything beats those four. Byron Hansford is the all-time leader in career rushing yards. Torrin Henderson is the all-time leader in yards from scrimmage uh, for from the running back position. Uh, Byron Hansford also leads the team when it comes to single seasons uh, uh, and single game. Byron Hansford basically did it all. Uh, well, I mean, he Henderson, won the Doak Walker as well, and he was a unanimous All-American. Yeah, he has the yeah, most, like, pedigree. He's probably – he's he's it. Byron Hansford is the greatest running back in tech history. Yes. The other three, like Torian Henderson leads us all in touchdowns. Um, so I think – so that's the top four to me. Those those four is it. Then there's a question of, okay, well, who is number five? And I think Taj Brooks is in the running for that number five spot, right? I think that's when you start thinking, okay, well, maybe it's James Gray. Maybe it's Bam Morris. Uh, maybe it's, it's you know – Maybe it is a Roger Thompson. I wouldn't put Roger Thompson there, but maybe it is a Roger Thompson. Maybe it's Todd Brooks. I think Todd Brooks. Maybe it's uh, uh, well, yeah. I think Todd. I think it's really that number five spot to me is between Bam Morris and Todd Brooks. And yeah. it's just a question of between those two and James Gray. I think James Gray's in there too, but I think it's really a question of between Bam Morris, James Gray, and Todd Brooks. Who is number five? And then it's then it's all up in the air. It's all subjective. Um, James Gray had a 280-yard rushing performance. You could say him. Bam Morris had a a uh, uh, James Gray also had 45 rushing touchdowns. Bam Morris had a 22 touchdown season. You know what I mean? Uh, but then you also have Sir Roderick Thompson, 
who as of right now has the sixth most rushing yards in a single season. If he does run again in the bowl game, he'll likely surpass all these guys as well. Uh, so actually, I think I think if he I think if he plays in the bowl game, he will he will become the, he'll have the fourth highest single season rushing mark if he hits 100 yards again. He could even pass Ricky Williams and get the third highest single season rushing mark. So, but another thing to remember about this though is all these players that we're talking about also ran. They only had 11 regular season games as opposed to 12. Yeah. So there's that too. That's true. So, anyway, so now, now after that long extended ex- discussion, let's go to the other side of the ball, the defense. A little bit more polarizing. Not really a one person answer. So, what flowers do you want to give on the defensive side of the ball, and then we'll figure out the defensive player of the year. Ooh. Ben Roberts, you get my bouquet. Ben Roberts stepping up since the Oregon game, called up to serve. 100 tackles on the season, 53 solo, 47 assisted, two, uh, but part of a sack. He got an interception, two forced fumbles. This was my freshman defensive player of the year for the Big 12, and the Big 12 snubbed him by giving him a co with a line with a lineman from. With a, with a dude from Texas. Who cares? Half his tackles. Like, give me a break. Oh, he got a couple of sacks. I don't care. Ben Roberts is out there working every game. You don't pass the, you don't get to the century mark without working your butt off, um, especially at the second level. So, Ben Roberts, man, easy for me. Obviously, you got to give it to the law firm, Jalen Hutchins, Tony Bradford, making the difference on the defensive line all season long until, of course, Jalen Hutchins got injured towards the end of the season. Super sucked because, you know, we really needed him against Texas, even though I doubt it would have made a difference. But, you know, you hate to see that against a team that he would love to. He would have loved to play against. Uh, it is what it is. Um, CJ Baskerville, your boy, CJ. Man, um, moving into a position that he was better suited for, played a lot better, uh, definitely damaging uh, on tackles. And he made, he made himself known all season. I do think... Uh, a Malik Dunlap, I think, did a really good job this season at creating turnovers, only surpassed by Dadrian Taylor Dimerson. Um, those are the only two guys who really wanted to go up and get interceptions, it felt like, even though uh, both Malik Dunlap and Dadrian Taylor Dimerson, DTD, the rabbit, they dropped more They dropped more interception opportunities than they, <laughs> than they got. But I, I do thank Flowers to them for still going after it. Uh, Joseph Adidere, you know, I think he hasn't had a lot of time on you know getting snaps but when he's been able to be in there he has been impactful and i think that guy has a really high ceiling i'm excited to see what he does he kind of evolves into this defensive the defensive spot um but yeah i don't know i think that's pretty josiah pierre linebacker i think the linebacking core outside of ben roberts was just i could have i wanted a little bit more impact but i think we've also been spoiled from some of the linebackers that we've had over this over the years so um yeah that's my list what about you uh you kind of well i will say with josiah pierre he was hurt for a lot of the season which paved the way to ben roberts having his incredible season uh i'm glad you got out cj baskerville i no more but not, I, the slander is gone for me baskerville balled out towards the end of the season in that new position i thought he did a great job happy to, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do next year um <clears throat> You know, uh, I like to give shout outs to guys that I did not were not on my radar at the beginning of the season that I did not think was going to make an impact at the beginning of the season. Uh, you, you mentioned the Dieter Ray. 
towards the end of the year when he was getting snaps, I saw his jersey a lot. I thought he was really impactful. I thought we saw his athleticism on display, which was really good. Uh, so good job for him. Braylon Lux. Braylon Lux. Beginning of the year, he wasn't even a starting cornerback. And I think at the end of the year, he kind of became, to me, CB1. As teams started throwing away from Dunlap and towards Lux, started picking on Lux. Teams started treating Lux a lot like how they started treating Dunlap at the end of last year. And Dunlap had to earn his mark and at and, and the end of last year and show teams, like, you can't throw on me, I'm him. Lux kind of did the same thing. And Lux started, he led the team in pass deflections, and he really started really locking receivers down. So I got to give a shout out to to Lux as well. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, but I think you got everybody else. So good stuff there. So I will say, who is your defensive player of the year? You gave Ben Roberts the bouquet. Is he getting your award for DPOI as well? I I do think so. I think that for me, a true I think, freshman. I just because he's 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 all over. He's been all over. I think he was all over. He he. I'll say he didn't get hurt, so he kind of has the advantage there. But for me, like Ben Roberts most of the time quietly was the most efficient person on our defense. Um, I mean, he just held this middle of the field together so well, which is part of the reason his tackles are so high because he just plays fundamental football. And that's something that Tim DeVruder was talking about in a presser kind of middle of the season. It was like, hey, Ben Roberts' breakout, like, kid just works hard, and he goes after it, and he knows how to play. And I think that, you know, that's a guy that just kind of – broke out of his shell from nothing into absolutely critical for our linebacking crew. So for me, I think the kind of the trajectory, the character arc of Ben Roberts for me just gives me like, give it to him. Like, I think that he made a really big impact on this season. The only other person I'd be like, mm, maybe would be I like rabbit perhaps because of his interceptions on the season, just impactful for interceptions in some games. But, you know, there were other games where I was like, man, rabbit, you could have done a little bit more for us here. Or I felt like you were getting burnt. But with I was never looking at Ben Roberts, you know, under a microscope that way. I never felt like I was like, damn, Ben, you'd missed it. You blew it, Ben. Um, you know, even if he wasn't making the biggest of plays all the time, he was there and he was like being a captain. So for me, I mean, it may seem silly to give it to a freshman, but I, I do feel like Ben Roberts has been the most impressive part of the defense for me all season. I keep saying true freshman. He is technically a, soft, a retro freshman, but um, those things don't matter anymore, apparently. <laughs> um, not so fast, my friend. Because here's the thing about Ben Roberts: he was not the best player on our team, on our defense. And uh, and I actually do think Rabbit was was one of the better players on our defense. Even though, yeah, I mean, there were some times he dropped balls and like that. But Rabbit did make a lot a big difference. But he's also not a guy that I'm going to pick as our defensive player of the year. You know, I'm going to pick as our defensive player of the year. A guy that he, he got snubbed, in my opinion, on the All-Big 12 team. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we didn't have the great, as good a season as we wanted to. But Jalen Hutchins is my yep. defensive player of the year. That man right there, it didn't matter how good we had it, how bad we had it, he played well. Right? Even, even in the game that shall not be named, he still was able to take on two blocks and still was trying to help the team do something. He, Jalen Hutchins, and I think a big reason why our defense performed admirably this year was because Jalen Hutchins played as good as he played. Jalen Hutchins, to me, is the defensive player of the year. Um, I could easily see him having a Kerry Hyder-type career 
in the league. Kerry Hyder's still going strong right now on my Texans currently. Uh, maybe even a stronger career than Kerry than Kerry, right? Like Jalen Hutchins, I think he has all the tools to really perform at the next level. Um, I'm sad that we won't see Hutchins or Bradford next year. I've seen the law firm for the last four years has been great. I'm excited to see what Hutchins can do at the next level. But to me, that has been our defensive player of the year. Uh, I'm hoping he may get on a Big 12 second team. Uh, definitely is going to be an honorable mention. I don't question that. But, but yeah, that's it. So uh, we don't talk special teams very much. Any We're not going to do special teams player of the year, but any flowers you want to give on the special team side? Uh, uh, Gino Garcia. Man, I think that we kind of were down on Gino early in the season, but he really kind of, I mean, he did really good for us throughout the rest of the season. Uh, three fifty-yard field goals. I think that's impressive, you know. Uh, and he was pretty automatic under forty. So, I mean, three for three, up to thirty. Six to six below forty. You know, it was the he just had three misses, three, four, five misses on the season. So, I think Gino Garcia did a pretty good job. And obviously, the one, the only Austin McNamara, best punter in the nation, the punt god. Um, yeah, that guy. That guy. His talent will be missed. I think that he has a tremendous ability to pin well, teams deep. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> it's a talent, man. It, it is, is an absolute. Uh, no, okay. All right. It is. It is. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to. The problem is, you won't miss it until the next punter starts shanking a lot of balls, and you'll be like, I oh guess. my God. I, I guess. But here's the thing about being a punter, <laughs> which is if like, I could go back in time and like change the position I played when I played football, I would absolutely be a punter because nobody really is ever that mad at the punter. Even when a punter shanks the ball, you're mad for like three seconds, and then it immediately goes away. Because then, because then, like, like you shank the ball, the offense has bad, a great, the opposing offense has great field position. Then you just you you switch your anger to the defense who lets them get, who gives up a touchdown. Like nobody is ever that mad at the punter. So, and flip side, you're never really that happy, right? Because if he pins them within the ten, defense forces a three and out. You're like, let's go defense. <laughs> you're not saying let's go, let's go Austin Mack. Right. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, no, he is a great talent, you know. But I, I, don't, I won't go as far as to say he'll be this. I do want to give a flower to Jay McCray. You already gave it to him for offense. I'm gonna give it to him for a return as well. I thought he did a really good job in the return game, um, in the kick return game. So, so props to him for sure. All right. So now, Jeremy, let's take a look into the future. Right. So as we look into the future. Texas Tech right now, 6-6. Six and six. We are going to go to a bowl game. We were talking about a pre-pod. Uh, there is a likelihood, or is, or is a possibility, I should say, that Texas Tech might be invited to a Dallas area bowl. Remember, we have a flex game between either the First Responder Bowl in Dallas on the 26th or the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth on the 23rd. Uh, if both Texas and Oklahoma, those are the really – let me not say them too. If two Big 12 teams get invited to New York Six, New York six Bowls, then we'll have a shot at it. If only one get invited to New York Six Bowl, we do not. It's really as simple as that. Um, we won't have a shot at, at one of those Dallas area bowls. Uh, and even if two get accepted in there, there's still a chance we won't get a shot at those Dallas area bowls. Um, our, where we may end up being as well is the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. Right, So that's a good shot. I think a lot of people are, are saying that there's a, a, a decent chance we'll end up there. I've seen projections where we play Cal. Uh, in that one, uh, maybe Arizona. Um, I saw one that had us playing Georgia Tech in in uh, a first responders bowl, something like that. So, so definitely some options there. 
if for whatever reason, because right now the Big 12 only has eight bowl tie-ins, we have nine teams that are eligible. If for whatever reason UCF gets picked in ahead of us for one of the bowls, we are just going to go to some BFE bowl, some bowl out in the middle of nowhere. I've seen Gasparilla Bowl as a bowl name that gets caught up a couple times, oh, quite a few times. We'll probably play, you know, some G5 team that you didn't care about before you found out who we were playing. So, so that's where we are as far as bowl. So we'll see what happens. We, like I said, we've already had a couple receivers announce that they're transferring. I personally, you know, there's two ways you can do your bowl game, especially in today's age. You can either use them as a launching pad for next year or a closing stamp for this year. I'd much rather use it as a launching pad for next year. I would like to see some young players get some burn, especially at the receiver position, see what they can do, see if we can get the O-linemen, some of the younger O-linemen to get some burn as well, see what they can do in this game. I think that'd be fun. Um, I would like to see maybe guys like Tykana defensively get some more burn than they were, maybe get a healthier Jacob Rodriguez who's been really hurt all year, see if he can get some action, get those legs moving some as well. So as well as, you know, a bit of a swan song for guys like Jalen Hutchins, like Tony Bradford, like Deidre Taylor-Demerson. Let them ride out on the high note, but kind of really use that as a launching pad there. But where do you think this team goes, not just in the bowl season, but beyond? Beyond? Yeah, like next year. Yeah. Yeah. Ah! Man, okay, so bowl game, I don't know, man. I'm interested to see who's going to play and who's going to sit. I'm interested because we're getting a bunch of transfer news now. Um, it's like, okay, the guys who are deciding to transfer, are they gonna are they gonna still play? If not, okay, then maybe we open up the floor to some of the younger guys, get some guys. Yeah, so probably not. So I think you look at guys like, I mean, we hear that. Um, so Miles Price is transferring. We hear that uh, what? Who yeah, Bradley? Yeah, Duran Bradley is gonna probably transfer, which that's obvious. Um, so maybe you do see guys like Koi can get some more more burn. You can see Dre McCray get some more burn. Um, hey, maybe we'll throw it to the tight ends. I don't know. But I think that, you know, if you don't get Taj Brooks in the bowl game, that's fine. Like, I think that's great. If he's going to prepare for the NFL, he should. And you would have a lot. It's the same reason Tyree Wilson didn't play last season, it, it, the bowl game last season, is because, hey, guys got, like, everything going for him. The last thing you want is to get injured. And that's very common in bowl season anyways. So, Let's see what Cameron Valdez can do when he's given a whole game to be the guy. Like, it really doesn't matter who we're playing because the game really doesn't matter at all. <laughs> you know, it's not going to change the outcome of the season. Now, I can tell you that if we, you know, I, I, the projections I've seen, the best team, I mean, we talked about um, uh, JMU uh, would be probably the best team we could end up facing. But I think that it might be more likely we see a team like Cal or I've seen Troy, which is really funny, because uh, you never you should never expect to play a team like Troy, and then you get him in the bowl game, and then they'll whoop you. <laughs> I've seen I've seen USF, which I'd hate I I like I would partly hate that because last time we played USF felt like it was going to be easy dub, it wasn't. Um, then again, it could be nice retribution, but I think whatever happens in this bowl game, you you got to start thinking about what's next, and with what's next, I, I, I'm I'm oh. What I hope for, what I hope for, is that Coach McGuire will take a step forward in his coaching legacy. He will look at these past two seasons. He will say, you know what? This was what's good about this first season. This is what we missed from the second season. What can I do 
knowing what I've what we've done these past two seasons to make the third season, which you and I have been on the same boat for a long time now, that the third season of the head coach's coaching career, it, you got your guys in there. You've got the opportunity to get transfers. You've gotten your system in place. This is where you should start seeing the turn if you are truly the guy for the program. Joey McGuire, I think, is the guy for the program. I want to see the turn. I want to see something change. And it's not going to change for me. It's not going to change if Zach Kitley stays Zach Kitley. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to get a new offensive coordinator. I would think that McGuire needs to talk to Kitley about a, like renegotiating the way that he plays football um, to match a Big 12 style just game. Because all throughout the season, I just had felt very disappointed with some game management, especially game uh, like play calling that Kitley was doing. It felt very right play at the wrong time. And we never saw an expanded playbook. It was a lot of the same stuff. Um, it was never really, you know, high flying, exciting. And you kind of got that vibe from the wide receivers, especially like a group that he's supposed to be in cahoots with basically quarterbacks, wide receivers supposed to make this offensive run. And really for us, the only thing that made the offensive run was running. So for Kitley, I got to see something different. I got to see something either like just deeply pedagogically different about your game plan, or I got to see a new head coach. I got to see a new assistant coach. And I don't think it's like any animosity against Kitley as a person. I'm not saying he's like a bad dude. I'm just like, I don't know if you're right for this position. And that's okay. Maybe you should be the head coach at UTEP. Go do it, man. But like, I don't think that offensive coordinator here can be the same as offensive coordinator at HBCU or now Christian Baptist University um, or uh, wherever he was at after that. The I'm stuck. Western Kentucky with whatever the hell their mascot is. I just can't be the same. It can't be the same for me. And it's been proven. Now, you'll have Morton. Hopefully, you can get him healthy over the offseason. You'll have Will Hammond coming in. He can take snaps behind Morton um, because it ain't going to be Jake Strong. I promise you that. And I don't know. I think it just has to look a little bit different. Now, you don't have a talent like Taj Brooks backing up. Like Cameron Valdez is different. So you may get to kind of adjust to that first year that Kitley was on staff because Sir Roderick and Cameron Valdez were kind of a similar talent uh, style of play. But... um, yeah. Tim DeRuiter, please stay. Please, God, stay. You've done so good. Please stay. You know, but I think that we have the pieces. I think we have the foundation. I think a lot of coaching mistakes were made this season. That if you switch that, if you switch the script, if you learn from it, you move forward, you have a really good opportunity next season. And here's the thing. It's just going to get weirder. You're just going to get, you're going to play teams you haven't played in a long time, if ever, <laughs> seemingly. Um, it's just going to be a weird season. And so we were talking about it in the offseason this past year. This is your opportunity to step forward and take the Big 12. You just had your last year of OU and Texas, you know, doing a strut in their stuff. And we're going to send them off to the SEC. Okay, goodbye. So now you have an open field. We thought it might be TCU. It's not. <laughs> it's not TCU. Kansas State, probably in a really good spot. Oklahoma State, probably in a really good spot. Texas Tech should be in a good spot. But there are things keeping us from being there. Kansas, good spot. So we kind of went from being, I felt, kind of ahead of the pack to kind of lagging behind the pack now. And so for me, I don't know. Next year could be good, but you're going to have to make some serious changes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, this upcoming next year, I, I thought, I've, and I felt this for a little bit, that 2022 and 2023 were really all about getting a head start on the new Big 12. Well, the new Big 12 begins next year. The, now, or really begins now. The new Big 12 begins now, right? Now, for all the teams coming in over from the Pac-12, for the, the 12 holdovers from the current 12, like now next year we are, we're going to have 16 teams, and now is where it all begins. And so luckily for Texas Tech, when it comes to the 2024 rankings, we're still number one in the, in the conference for recruiting for the class of 2024. We're number one. Number two is UCF. Number three is TCU. Um, as we add our Western compa- compatriots, uh, Colorado sitting there at number five. Arizona's at seven. Arizona State's at ten. Um, he he. Te- Houston's at sixteen. God, yeah, they had to fire uh, Dana. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Houston. Oh my goodness. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I think it does put us in a good spot, though. But to your point, right now, K State and Oklahoma State. We talked about last last year. We said TCU threw the first punch when it came to the new Big Twelve. They threw the first punch. Well, just as much as they threw the first punch, that first punch also lost a lot of spring in the like lost the got a little weak in the second year, right? The two teams that I think were consistent, especially it was K State. K State was the most consistent. Period. They won the Big Twelve championship game last. They won the Big Twelve last year, and then this year they were in the running for it all the way up to the last week for the Big Twelve championship as well. I think they have the best step as we move into the new, new Big Twelve, right? And then we're we're lagging behind. With still TCU still there because they would go to, they, they did go to the national championship game last year, but as Oklahoma State also is a little bit ahead of us, but then with us kind of winning the recruiting battles, we're right there. But I think it's it's McGuire's gonna have to figure out a way to not just recruit some of these good players that we're about to get, but also you still got to coach them, you still got to coach them up, you still got to make sure that, that coaching is done well. And so, so uh, yeah, so we'll see. Another good thing to think look at is that Tech is right now fourth in the conference for twenty twenty five. Excuse me. Right, and so we're still we're still keeping up, keeping at it with six commits on the on so far. We're keeping at it for 2025 as well. It ain't just a, a flash in the pan, um, and it looks like what us and UCF are the only two teams in the top four for both 2024 and 2025. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes forward. As far as next year, we know this is Barry Morton's team. It's not a question. It's not a. Hey, whose team do you think it'll be next year? It's not a hey, what do you what do you think is going to happen? There's no controversy coming into this year. It's Baron Morton's team. Now, I mentioned it. May, the the thing that hurt the most about Tyler Shuck's transferring is isn't that for Tyler Shuck? It's we have no depth at quarterback right now, right? I know we have Will Hammond coming next year. He's going to be an 18 year old true freshman. I don't trust that. We saw Jake Strong, who's going to be a 19 year old redshirt freshman. But I would still I would love to be able to get just depth of the quarterback position because as history has shown for the past half deck, almost a decade um, or over half a decade is that we going to see Will Hammond next year if he's a third string quarterback. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think next year is going to be very interesting. One thing to t- look out for next year is Oregon and Oregon state are trying to keep the civil war going, despite the fact that Oregon's going to the big 10 what that could mean is that next year's trip to Eugene, Oregon may end up getting either canceled or pushed back or pushed away. Reports have it that Texas Tech is potentially willing to oblige the request of Oregon to not play that game anymore. And instead, Tech would play Washington State. 
Um, I know a lot of fans don't like that. They want to play Oregon. They want to get that get back. Personally, I'm okay with playing Washington State. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't care. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It doesn't matter. So anything else you want to say about uh, this or about the season at all? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's mid. Welcome back to the midology. This this has been midology by Tortillas and Takes. Midology, but I, I really think for us, the goal should be every year, we got to have a winning record in conference. Like, that should be the, especially in the new Big 12. Got to have a winning record in conference. And so, for so far, back to back years, we got a winning record in conference. Next year will be another opportunity to have a winning record in conference. And now you've got to build on it because now, next year, who's going to win this conference? You got to imagine that K State's going to be one of the favorites. You got to imagine that Oklahoma State's going to be one of the favorites. Um, K-State is losing Will Howard, but we, we saw the, the guy who's going to be taking over for them, and he's pretty dangerous in his own right. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. UCF started looking dangerous towards the end of the year, and they're getting nothing but talent, right? We're going to get some teams that have, Arizona looked pretty good out of the Pac-12 this year. Colorado's only going to get better. So it'll be very interesting to see this new Big 12. I'm excited for it. And, and I, listen, Tech's going to be out there. They're going to be ready to compete, and Joe McGuire knows that he's going to have to gonna have to step up. Um, he, he's – well, good thing about Joey McGuire is he's just as much of a fan as he is a coach. So he's going to try his best to make sure that's going to, the tide's going to turn. So, so yeah. So with that being said, this has been the season recap here at Tortillas and Takes. We are switching over to basketball season, so we, we're going to have a lot of Lady Raiders talks on talk on this podcast. So make sure to tune in for some Lady Raiders talks as well as the men's basketball team. Tough loss, tough tough loss to Butler. Um, but like I tweeted, we're going to be all right. So we're definitely going to talk about that. We may have bring back uh, a familiar voice that everybody's been missing to talk basketball as we move forward. So be on the lookout for that as we switch seasons. So for people, Champ, that is Jeremy Gillen. This is your boy, Albie Shore, and you've been listening to Tortillas and Takes Podcast, part of the 1012 Network. As always, stay wrecked, people. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.